Welcome to Alec Across the States. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Today, we're going to be discussing homeschooling and different types of education policy. Joining me to do that, we have a featured list of guests. First is Scott Kaufman, the ALEC Director of the Education and Workforce Development Task Force. Scott, thank you so much for calling in and organizing this great podcast. I'm sure it'll be a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Of course. And joining us as well from the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, oftentimes acronymed as HSLDA. You might hear that a few times today, so I want to make sure you guys knew it. First is Heather Fromack. She's the program manager for the educational consultants at HSLDA. She's a speaker, teacher, writer, and 17-year homeschooling veteran. Heather, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And finally, we have Dan Beasley. He is the staff attorney at HSLDA and serves as their member, families, and advocates for homeschooling in 13 states. Dan, thank you so much for calling in. It's great to be here. Thank you. Of course. So, To get things started a little bit, I think it is important for our listeners to understand maybe what homeschooling is and what homeschooling isn't. I suppose we can call this our primer on homeschooling. Um, Scott, would you be willing to discuss with our audience a little bit more about that? Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, you know, everyone is schooling at home, right? But it's not necessarily the traditional homeschooling. It's people responding to a crisis. And I wondered if you could kind of share with the audience the the difference and how folks who are experiencing this crisis right now can try to get the best out of this situation. Sure. Well, from a legal perspective, there certainly is a distinction. Homeschooling is distinct because it involves a parent directing their child's education really outside the traditional public school system. The laws for homeschooling vary from state to state, but the parents are ultimately in charge of their child's education. In what you're calling crisis homeschooling or uh, what I might also refer to as public school at home or schooling at home is where a child's enrolled in a school, a public school or a private school, and they're physically at home uh, because of the pandemic. But it's distinct from homeschooling in the sense that they're still following the curriculum, the schedule, and, and whatever assignments they're given from their school. Uh, they're not they're not homeschooling in the sense that the the parent is directing their education. So there's definitely a, a legal distinction there. Also, from a practical perspective, while children in both scenarios are are physically in the home, that homeschooling provides more freedom, flexibility, and customization for the parent to really customize mm-hmm. and, and tailor the educational experience to the unique needs of of their child. And I think Heather can address some of the the practical. Uh, differences of of homeschooling as well, uh, given her role at HSLDA. Yeah, you know, as Dan said, the freedom to homeschool means that um, families have the freedom to orchestrate their lives and learning to meet the needs of the whole family and the whole child. And crisis schooling, if you want to call it that, can really be confusing because there's not usually a clear distinction between the roles of the parent and the roles of the school. And the school may be trying their best to support each child, but they don't have the capacity to choreograph the best learning situation for the whole family. So, for example, we've heard of homes with limited computers and limited technology access, but they have multiple children. And each teacher for those children may be requiring online learning or Zoom classes. And those just conflict with the requirements of the other teachers. So, you know, you have that challenge at home. 
or maybe a well-intentioned teacher that might be sending material in an effort to continue the education of the child, but since parents were not trained or prepared to be familiar with the course content, they're just feeling really ill-equipped to facilitate this learning. And unlike homeschooling, which actually enables a parent to be integrated from the beginning in the selection and the facilitation of the learning, so there's freedom. And that can, that can be a big relief. I mean, no, no mistake. Uh, home education, parent-directed education is a privilege and a sober responsibility, but um, it means that there's freedom. So that's a, that's a big difference. Right. And for parents that, that are currently, you know, schooling at home, public school at home, whatever you want to call it, crisis going, that maybe want to transition to a more traditional homeschooling type arrangement. They just don't feel like they're getting enough from their, their traditional public school right now. What, what's, what's the right way to go about that? And is there anything that they should legally be aware of? Sure. So on the legal side, it's important for parents first to determine whether they want to homeschool traditionally and, and really withdraw their student from the school that they're attending and organize their child's educational curriculum and, and learning program on their own. If they're unhappy with the public schools program, uh, they need to first make sure that they understand what the legal requirements are for homeschooling in their state. Uh, we have uh, a state map on our website, www.hslda.org, where we list the legal requirements for all 50 states. And it's important for them to go there or, or somewhere else to be able to ensure that they, they follow the law. Now, during this time, several states have actually modified requirements uh, in light of the pandemic as well. Uh, and we can talk a little bit more specifically about that later. But step one would just be making sure that uh, if they do, first, if they need to comply with the law, uh, they do that. And I say if because in some scenarios, uh, a student may be home, but the school may have relaxed the requirements and they may not actually need to comply with a specific homeschool option. They may be able to accomplish their child's objectives while remaining enrolled in the school. So, you know, that's the first question to ask is, is what do I want to do? And then secondly, what's required uh, under that option? So I, I think one of the things about homeschooling the, the right way, and one of the wonderful things about homeschooling is that as long as you're following the guidelines, the legal guidelines that Dan and other people, uh, attorneys at HSLDA are so well equipped to help guide you on, there's not a specific right way to homeschool. You get to customize that. You have the freedom to make it the best possible learning experience that fits the best with your homeschooling um, and family rhythms, with your uh, family values, with your educational goals, with your children's preferences, what they want to learn, what you'd like to learn along with them. So I think um, there's a lot of freedom in homeschooling that unfortunately a lot of people in this crisis schooling are not necessarily experienced because, for example... They might feel a certain pressure to have a certain curriculum completed by June. Well, if you're having a lot of challenges with your school system, that might not even be possible to get the curriculum completed by June. But if you choose to homeschool, you have the freedom to go through the summer if you want to or to start again if you feel like your child really needed to learn better. So I think that's an important aspect to talk about when you talk about homeschooling as compared to crisis schooling in the in the right way, quote unquote. Yeah, hey, I think that's exactly right, Heather. And if I could just chime in with with one more thought, is that 
we generally don't recommend to parents that they try to recreate the, the public school experience mm-hmm. in their own. You know, as Heather's mentioning, that you, you have more freedom and flexibility, especially given the difficulty of, of the pandemic and the time that we're living in. You just have a lot more flexibility and freedom as, as a parent to, to implement the program really that's, that's best for your child. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that states are responding to the pandemic by changing their rules regarding homeschooling. Are, are they making it easier? Are they making it harder? Is it a mixed bag? What's going on in the state? Sure. So several states have taken action to protect the health of homeschooling students. They've waived or postponed some of the legal requirements. Most of the time, it's in three different areas. One would be for states that require standardized testing. Oftentimes, these tests require students to have interaction with others uh, through the administration of the test. And so some states are waiving that requirement or postponing it a year. Um, Other states require other forms of assessment, like meeting with a credentialed educator for a portfolio review. Um, And and again, those meetings that require unhealthy contact uh, have been, in some states, waived or postponed. And then finally, there's a uh, there's often a uh, requirement that parents provide a certain amount of instruction, either days or hours of instruction. And in some states, those requirements have been relaxed or waived in in light of the the pandemic. It's it's a stereotype that homeschool students are just sitting at home all the time, uh, but in reality, they're often out, uh, you know, participating in co-op classes, uh, participating mm-hmm. in enrichment you know, activities, and so the social distancing policies have disrupted their learning experience as well, even though they actually are at home. So uh, so some states are taking steps to protect the health of homeschool students and are, are again, modifying those requirements. So we, we applaud the states that, that have done that. Mm-hmm. So ALEC is the largest nonpartisan voluntary organization of state legislators in the country. And that's also what mostly makes up the large uh, majority of our audience. We have state legislators, we have people who are just diehards about state policy and just really care about getting those issues and solutions right. So I say all that because right now you've got your state audience. I like to tell our, our guests, you've got your state audience right now. So what should states, state legislators, policymakers who care about state policy or work in state policy, what do they need to think about? What do they need to do to ensure that kids have access to homeschooling uh, right now? And then, of course, this is the more open-ended part going into the future. Sure. Well, well, right now, I think that state legislators should look at eliminating unnecessary burdens, especially those that would make it difficult or impossible for a family to begin homeschooling during this pandemic. Um, One of the ways that they can do this is by, as I mentioned earlier, waiving some of the requirements that may make it difficult or unhealthy for a a student to begin homeschooling. Um, And another, uh, just to give a couple examples of some states that have done that, um, Tennessee, for example, uh, under one of their homeschooling options requires testing. They just eliminated that requirement for this year. They also did it for their their public and private schools as well. So it wasn't like a change that applied only to homeschoolers. Um, as well as the, the day and hour, uh, hourly teaching requirements. Uh, Pennsylvania is another one that made some changes. Georgia, we have a list on our website of the states that did. But that, that's kind of the, the thing to do right now is ensure that there aren't unnecessary burdens of a parent thinking, wow, I'd like to try this uh, homeschooling option, but uh, you know, I don't want to take my child to meet with an evaluator. I don't want to sign my child up for a test where he's going to have to engage in unhealthy social contact. You know that's going to be a barrier. So so remove those barriers. And and with that, 
uh, I would certainly encourage clarity. Uh, in some situations, you know, governors have have issued statements in response to the pandemic, but they don't always address homeschoolers. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's not intentional, but you know, of course, homeschoolers are the, are the vast minority of, of students, and so clarity in uh, state policy would would be very helpful. Sometimes it's necessary for the state legislature to get involved. Other times, the governor through their uh, emergency powers can help alleviate or modify some of those requirements. But clarity is is really important. And we at HSLDA are happy to talk with any uh, legislators or legislative staff who may be wondering about what are exactly are the requirements for homeschoolers. How can we ensure that they're able to continue to homeschool or someone is able to start homeschooling uh, without unnecessary burdens given this time? We're happy to you know assist with with those kinds of questions. So eliminating the burdens and then secondly uh, clarity. Uh, for homeschoolers as well. Yeah, and if I could add another thought to that, I think that um, one of the helpful things that legislators could do would be just to take this time to educate themselves about what homeschooling is really like. Even getting to know real, authentic homeschoolers, I think, can help them be aware when something is an unfair or incorrect stereotype, like the one Dan mentioned that, you know, there's this illusion that homeschoolers are just stay at home and they have no social life and, and uh, they're, they're, you know, unfairly constrained from normal, healthy relational development, which is the opposite. The opposite is right. true. But I think that when, um, if educators could actually get to know some homeschooling families, read some of the things that HSLDA puts out um, to help be aware of the realities and the benefits of homeschooling, then they'll be less inclined to be swayed by some of the misinformed information that gets out about homeschooling and uh, better prepared to help with a healthy defense of homeschooling as well. So one other thing I would really like to make sure your listeners are aware of is a brand new website that HSLDA created and launched last week called mompossible.org. And this is a website specifically designed to support, encourage, and inform People who are finding themselves suddenly schooling at home, especially those people who don't have a homeschooling background. So we want to encourage people to look there. There is a quick start guide on there, a three-week plan if people would like to start homeschooling. But even if they don't choose to do that, it's a great place to get encouragement and support. And and in terms of moving into the, the future and what policymakers can do to help support homeschoolers, help uh, enable access to homeschooling. I mean, one of our, you know, we certainly don't want any student who would really benefit from homeschooling to miss out on the opportunity because mm-hmm. his or her parent is uncertain about whether it's an option or uncertain about what the requirements mm-hmm. are, um, or they feel their student would miss out on, on opportunities uh, that that student needs. And so one of the things we do encourage policymakers to consider is making sure that students and graduates are not, are not disadvantaged. We do advocate for fairness for homeschool graduates. Actually, with ALEC, we've proposed some model policy that would help ensure fairness for homeschool graduates. But sometimes in K-12 through educational opportunities like uh, JROTC or driver's education or vocational technical education, occasionally there are, are roadblocks in these kind of areas. And so we encourage policymakers to support homeschoolers in, 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 those, in those areas. Um, another, another possible policy would be tax credits, which would help parents keep some of their own money that they've spent on education for homeschooling. And so a couple things like that are are some steps that legislators could take to help empower and and embolden homeschoolers to to make the choice that's really best for their child. 
Well, that does bring us to the end of our segment today on Alec Across the States. I've been your host, Dan Reynolds. I've been sitting down with two experts from the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, Heather Fromack, the program manager for the Educational Consultants. Heather, thank you so much for calling in and for all of your insightful comments today. Thank you. Of course. And also Dan Beasley, the staff attorney at Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Dan, thank you so much for calling in and telling our listeners about what's going on. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. And finally, Scott Kaufman, the ALEC Director of the Education and Workforce Development Task Force. Scott, thank you so much for organizing this podcast, getting everyone together, and for setting the vision for what was a great conversation. Thank you. And if you are interested in having your idea featured on ALEC Across the States, do not hesitate to email me at acrossthestates at alec.org. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 